Hello and welcome to episode 264 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Stateline, Nevada. What's up? How's it going, man? Good, man. Good, good. I heard that there's some rain in Northern California, which uh, we desperately need here in uh, in the mountains because the smoke has been just <laughs> apocalypse. So hopefully that's going to be out of here relatively soon. Yeah. Yeah. Did I tell you last time that the smoke has come here? Or is that- oh, God. I've been reading about that. That's that's pretty insane. Yeah, it's like this weird gray haze. You're like, uh, is it cloudy? No, it's not cloudy, but I can't really see the sky. So what's going on? But anyways, yeah. Hey, by the way, you always you wear that hat often. What's what is that hat? Oh, Santa Barbara Classic. It's the only hat I have right now, and uh, it's uh, just a golf tournament that I I got this for free uh, a few months ago. Or cool, for, sorry, a few years ago, I got this hat. Yeah. All right. I need hats. I need hats. If anybody wants to send me a uh, thank you anything hats are always good okay today on the show we're gonna hear news about the august uh flex release the scores came out today i got a lot of emails there uh someone has a question they need help on rc reading comprehension someone writes in study plan question mark okay we have a pearls versus turds a tip from admit an admissions counselor okay and, oh, Victor's personal statement. Victor, I hope you know what you're in for, um, but these are fun to read. Um, yeah. In any case, this will air on Monday, September 21st. In two days, you will be facing the November LSAT Flex deadline. So if you're on the fence about the November LSAT Flex, now's your time to register. Yep. If you end up not taking it because you're not ready, well... You lose the money, but at least you had the option to do so if you end up being ready. Yep. The October LSAT Flex starts uh, Saturday, October 3rd, so pretty soon here. And the November LSAT Flex is the week, or starts on Saturday, November 7th. You can always email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Include your selfies if you're so inclined. Leave us a review on iTunes. And let's get started. Anything else? Let's do it. Okay. You want to read this first email? Sure. This came in, uh, well, all of these came in this morning uh, because today is the release date for the August LSAT Flex. Um, Yes, as we record this, it is Friday, September 18th, and the scores are just now coming out. And of course, they fucked it up in a million different ways. But First, we have a nice email from Faith who says, Hi, Ben and Nathan. I've been listening to your podcast and am a Demon subscriber for a few months now. Praise the Demon. I have taken the LSAT three times, April, May, oh, sorry, April slash May, July, and August, so three times, and have significantly improved my score, but I still want five more points. On the August LSAT Flex, I had multiple issues with the proctor interrupting me or messing with the screen, as well as starting over two hours late due to issues with ProctorU, and I lowered my score by two points. Is it a bad idea to sign up for the November LSAT? Thanks for the help, Faith. I think we got a clear answer there. What do you want to say, Ben? Just sign up. Score is the most important thing. Get that score and then worry about everything else later. If your practice tests indicate you can do better, you must take it again you would be an idiot not to take it again if your practice tests indicate you can do better. Simple. By the way, I get last night in class, I'm getting a lot of the like, 
well, how do I know if I'm ready to take the official test? And I'm like, there's no mystery to it. You take the practice tests seriously. Mm -hmm. And the practice test scores are going to reflect your ability. And you should expect to get an official score somewhere around the middle of your practice test scores. Make sure you work hard, get your practice test average up there to a point where you're comfortable and then keep taking the official test until you get an official score that reflects your ability. You don't have to match the highest practice test you ever got, but somewhere in the top half of your range. And so it sounds like Faith has been working hard, studying, using the demon, had a little bit of a dip on the August test. Shit happens. You got to take it again. No brainer. I mean, the bummer is she already kind of fucked up, right? What's her big mistake? She didn't sign up for October. Yeah, she should have been. She should have been signed up for October. And sorry, Faith, but you should have been taking the October test. Um, now you have to basically like restart your prep and wait until November to take the test. Uh, that's not ideal. If your practice tests indicate that you're ready, you should probably be signing up for multiple overlapping LSATs. Uh, it's unfortunate you end up wasting money paying extra money to LSAC, which we cringe every time we recommend this, but you it's the best strategy for getting your best score. So yeah. Um, if you are like, if you're taking October, if you're listening to this now and you're already signed up for October, you should sign up for November because you're going to have to take the October test before the November deadline. Yeah. It's a bummer, but that's how it works. Yep. All right. You want this next one? Sure. M writes, hi, Ben. I'm sure that you're receiving a lot of emails like this today, but I just wanted to say thank you and let you know how helpful your class and the demon was for me. When I took the diagnostic test in February to start your in-person DC class, I scored a very discouraging 140. By the way, a lot of people start around that score. Yeah, that's not that bad. It is still can be discouraging. After taking your class and studying with the demon, I scored a 161 in June and was very happy with that score. However, I was advised by my peers to take it one more time. Today, I received my score from the August LSAT and scored a 170. That's just, that's so awesome. That's why I included this here. I never imagined that I would be able to score that high, and I am now reconsidering what schools I'm applying to and very excited to start the application process. Thank you again, and I plan to recommend the demon to everyone I know planning to take the LSAT. This is actually a prime example of why you need to take the LSAT until you are scoring officially around where you're scoring on your practice tests. It's once you get the score that you are capable of, everything else changes. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that is quite literally a life changing amount of improvement. I mean, just 160 to 170 is a life changing amount of improvement. Yeah. Yeah. So it was 140 to 160, 140 to 170 is, that's a different planet. That's just, (laughs) that's like, there's a whole range of schools that M couldn't even have gotten into with the 140 that now M shouldn't even be considering with the 170. (laughs) He just, he or she launched into a different stratosphere. It's, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like with a 140, it's like throwing a paper airplane around your house. With a 170, it's like you're getting on the shuttle to 
<laughs> Go to space. You're yeah. literally like, oh, wow, I'm here. Well, the, well, the 140, you're crumpling up the paper airplane and tossing <laughs> it into – Kobe tossing it into the trash can with the, with the 170. You're – yeah, you're getting on Elon Musk's rocket ship and blasting off. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah. All right, next one. Yeah. Uh, Kevin writes in and says, Chaos reigns at LSAC, and they blame students for not following directions. <laughs> and then the eye roll emoji. It says, For the August-September test, more than 50% of the LSAT writing sessions were flagged for further review due to failure to follow the guidelines, which created a significant backlog of sessions that had to be reviewed. We have pulled in staff from all across LSAC to help process LSAT writing sessions as quickly as possible. So if you have recently completed your LSAT writing, you should receive your score in the next week and in many cases, much sooner. <laughs> That's a quote. <laughs> Kevin is quoting the email that he got from Law School Admission Council. Kevin says, unsurprisingly, the website isn't prepared for all the traffic that they could easily have predicted. It took me 30 minutes to log in and navigate the website to get my score. Thank you, LSAC overlords, Kevin. And then he forwarded the email. I don't know that we need to read this whole thing. It, it, is, it is kind of insane, though, isn't it? These people had to sign up to take the test a full six or seven weeks before they took the test. Then the score release is three weeks after that. Yeah. So it's not like law school admission council doesn't know how many customers they have. Yeah. They just don't seem to care very much about what kind of hassles they put their customers through. I mean, I got another, this was like a instant message this morning. Mm -hmm. Can you believe this fucking LSAC site is crashing? Everyone got emails that scores are available, but no one can log in to see them. The web says there has been an error. Please try again later. If the problem persists, call <laughs> technical support. It's been like that for almost an hour now. And then like a hundred mad face emojis of different sorts. You know, the head exploding one and yeah. the one with the smoke coming out of the nostrils and the one with the swear words across the face. <laughs> like, just, And then a picture, a screenshot of the error that this student was experiencing. <laughs> Question for you. When did the emails with the score in it stop? <laughs> That's a good point. Because I remember getting my score in my email. Yeah. Boy, that would make their lives a lot easier because then you don't have to log on to get – because I don't think I even – maybe I did log on. I think I did log on because I was like, holy shit, 179. What do I – what? Like I wanted to yeah. see the stats or, or whatever. Verify it. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I don't know. They <laughs> – I'm sure people man. complain. They're like, oh, so-and-so saw my score and I didn't want him to see my score. It's like, hey, it's your email, you know? Like, we were – yeah, there's something like that going on. I'm I'm still stuck on this LSAT writing situation. You know, they've been having lots of problems with ProctorU and they've been having problems, various problems in various ways. But the fact that more than 50% of LSAT writing sessions were flagged for further review due to failure to follow the guidelines. <laughs> the guidelines weren't clear enough or they're not being enforced accurately or there's just – to blame it on the students is pretty crazy. 
Well, I'm down with it. If it's like 10%, then they're like, hey, look, you guys messed up. You didn't get the protocol. You didn't follow the rules. But more than 50%, that means you're not communicating effectively. Well, dude, can I also ask, why the fuck are they taking LSAT writing so seriously? There should be no reason. Like you said last time, they should just accept these and move on. Can I can I tell you the um, – I mean, here's – this is from the LSAC email, which, by the way, is one of these signed anonymously. It's signed oh. sincerely, Candidate Services. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to take the blame for this. <laughs> no, one's saying, no one's putting their name on it. Here, here's what it says. Here are the most common reasons for LSAT writing sessions being flagged for further review. One, failure to show to the camera an appropriate photo ID and capture a clear image of your ID when prompted by the system. That one I get. <laughs> I mean, you have sure. to prove it's you. Yep. I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two, failure to show both sides of your blank page of scratch paper during the room scan, as well as any, which, by the way, that's terrible writing. <laughs> well, and you have right? another end coming. <laughs> so yeah. As well as and an end. <laughs> okay. Failure to show both sides of your blank scratch paper during the room scan, as well as any writing instruments, comma, and your soft foam earplugs, comma, if you are planning on using these items. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> that That's awful writing. Yeah. Please, God damn it, stop. But <clears throat> why, why do they give a shit about your scratch paper? It's a, it's a novel prompt, right? You can't mm-hmm. have <clears> – <throat> I mean, unless they're using the same prompt for multiple people, which why would they? Those prompts are so easy. Like they have hundreds of them. Yeah. They should just use the old writing sample prompts and just give everybody a kind of a different one. And there's no way you could have a book of responses to every single – I mean – And if <laughs> anyone went back and actually did all of them, well – Then good uh, on them. Yeah, good on them. They're, that one person wasted their time on something that's unimportant and now they can have a great writing sample. Dude, you have to show your soft foam earplugs to the camera. You have to show your pen or pencil or whatever. Okay. The – the, uh, the, re- the, the most common reasons for LSAT writing sessions being flagged for further review continues. We're only halfway through the list of most common reasons, mm-hmm. <laughs> which means there's probably an additional list of other reasons. But anyway, number three, you cannot wear or have near you any kind of digital watch, smart watch, fitness tracker, or other electronic device while completing the LSAT writing section, parentheses, unless you have an <laughs> LSAC improved accommodation. A comma would have been fine there, huh? Instead of the parentheses. But the point is I would just drop the whole idea. Like if you got the accommodation, you get it. You got it. Right. You know you got it if you got yeah. if you got it. Yeah. Because you have like you need a blood sugar monitor or whatever, like yeah, yeah. we get it. You fucking pacemaker, <laughs> like yeah, we okay. <laughs> but you can't wear a Fitbit. Come on, man. <laughs> How many steps what? did I walk today? Five thousand. <laughs> what? Like yeah. We'll let people wear their damn Apple Watch. Yeah. Who cares? What? How are you possibly going to – how is your Apple Watch – what? Is your Apple Watch going to be giving you Morse code 
<laughs> that alone would be <laughs> impressive. They should get points for that. Once again, it's like good on you. If you found a way to have Morse code signals sent through your <laughs> Apple Watch so that you can write a gr- brilliant LSAT writing, good for you. Like you're going to be a damn good lawyer because you're thinking outside the box. Like that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Why are they fucking with people with all of these ridiculous, unnecessary restrictions? Okay, number four. Failure to remove any mobile phones, backpacks, or other prohibited items from your testing area, which, by the way, Ben, I'm pretty sure everything is prohibited unless it's explicitly allowed. Yes. Right? That, that was in another email that they we sent. talked about that. Yeah. If it's not listed here, it's, it's prohibited, which would include your T-shirt. Yes. Your chonies are on – it didn't explicitly say you could wear the BVDs. So you, everybody has to go commando for the LSAT writing. But um, what do you mean you can't have a backpack on your desk at home where you're taking the LSAT writing? They expect everybody to empty out the room that they're in. They have to – you have to like go in and have – it has to be like a clean room. Yeah. As if you're like creating microchips or something in there, it, it, <laughs> it has to have, you know, or like you're you're inventing the COVID vaccine. You have to you have to get rid of everything out of the room so that you could have a pristine testing environment. Not even for the LSAT flex, but for the fucking LSAT writing, which nobody gives a shit about. No one cares. Okay, yeah, and so they're, now they're. <laughs> They're like, hey, the Sullivan Testing Centers, those places are, are, are cleared Sylvan. out. What is it, Sylvan? Sylvan. It wrong. Sylvan Testing Centers are cleared out, so you have to recreate that. We're competing with them. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I mean, the, the bizarre thing is that ultimately they are just kicking themselves in the nuts. They're causing themselves a customer service nightmare. They created these rules, and now they have to enforce them, and <laughs> yeah. it's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. And it's like the easy solution for 2020 is get rid of stupid LSAF writing. Just get rid of it. Nobody got, nobody wants it. Nobody cares. And we're in a tough time. We, it's a tough year. It's okay to get rid of LSAT writing. That would be totally fine. No one's going to care about that. You could bring it back in 2021. Yep. You know, like get the LSAT flex sorted out first and then worry about LSAT writing. You know, that or, just gave me this idea. I realize it would mess with the whole like application process, but when you talk about streamlining life, right, making life easier, yes. don't just get rid of LSAT writing. Get rid of the whole application process and submit our GPA and LSAT scores to all the schools and let them reach out to you. And if they're at all interested, then you can send them a personal statement. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> and an LSAT writing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, if you want to. Because, well, sure. the thing is, they won't do that because it would show their lie in well, you're not just the numbers. You know, every law school, you're, yeah. not, you're, you're more than just the numbers to us. We, you know, we, we thoroughly evaluate every application. Bullshit. No, you don't. Like, someone applies to Harvard with a 140 and a 2.5, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they're not yeah. considering you at all. No, nope. you're not even close. And so, but, but they, they are, it would be too obvious. Yeah. So instead they're going to make you jump through a bunch of hoops, which you have no chance, you know, 
of getting in, but you're going to have to still do LSAT writing and you're going to have to do a personal statement. You're going to have to get letters of recommendation. And yeah, yeah. People out there are going to be like, well, but there's an exception. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're right. There is one out of a 10,000 exception to that rule. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't even know that there actually has ever been somebody with a 140 and a 2.5 going to Harvard. Uh, maybe. So Email the show, help at thinkingelsat.com. We'd love to hear about it. Six, seven years ago, I had a um, student in my DC class who was a politician from some country in Africa. I can't remember which country. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. You're former prime minister of Bahrain or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So he was taking my class, right? And he had actually left the country because of persecution. And (laughs) he had friends at Harvard. I I mean, it wasn't surprising. This guy also gave me a watch in class one time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He was like, he was, you know, the perfect prime minister. It's like he's a politician. He's He's going to get where he wants to get through other yep. means, not just his LSAT yep. score. Through Anyways. fundraising. Fundraising is always a good way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He told me, he's like, oh, yeah, I had these two professor friends at Harvard, and they were telling me that the the lowest score that they would ever admit was a 151. And that's yeah. that's what he's like, I have to get a 151 so they accept me there. And I was like, interesting insight. Okay. That's, that sounds right. For for Harvard, yeah, I can't – why would they ever admit somebody with a below-average LSAT? I mean, it's just not hard to get yourself to 150. Yeah. It, or if it is – I'm sorry. If it is hard to get to 150, you're not going to Harvard. Like that's yeah. – you're you got – the people that you would be going to school with rolled out of bed with a 165 and yep. then studied their way to a 175. You know, yeah. like – if it's hard for you, you're really struggling to get to a 150. You don't want to be at Harvard. I mean, you're going to have a fucking hard time competing against those people. Yeah. Anyway, you know, oh, <laughs> here's the last line of this email. We hope that you will continue to pursue your goal of legal education, M dash. The world needs your <laughs> voice and your advocacy now more than ever. What? this hurrah okay that's all our updates that we got for today um we continue to get tons of emails about the august lsat flex um well maybe we'll have more news next week yeah. you want to uh jump on this help on rc yeah i'll take it so hey guys love the podcast what is your guys's best <laughs> advice for reading comp our best advice Okay. I score well on games and logical reasoning, but I have room to improve on reading comp. On games, I miss one to two questions. On logical reasoning, I miss three or four. But on reading comp, I miss eight or nine. I have a tough time finishing, and I hate some of the questions. Okay. I wanted to know how to improve before the November LSAT. Also, when would be the ideal time to apply to law schools for 2021 post November LSAT? Thanks, John. Let's start with John's his first a new, question. Yeah. John must be a new listener. Um, we're doing a better job teaching reading comprehension now than we ever have before. We have started teaching it in a way that we read the passage to you and we demonstrate the type of thought process we're engaging in 
as we read the passage, basically what we're doing is we're demonstrating active reading. Yeah. Most books, most LSAT classes have a terrible conception of active reading. They're telling you to highlight. They're telling you to take underline. Yeah. They're telling you to take notes. That shit is a waste of time and it does not help you comprehend. Yeah. Um, if you watch our videos in the demon, which we have now dozens of them, um, probably coming up on hundreds of these videos where we, we call it story time. It's actually really fun, surprisingly fun. I do basically a dramatic reading of the passage and I, I talk to the author. That's what we're going for. We're going for a conversation. You don't need to take notes. You need to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. If you have a conversation with the author, then you're going to comprehend what they said. And when you comprehend what they said, you're going to realize that the questions are easy. The questions are asking, did you comprehend the passage? That's all they're asking. Yeah. They're going to ask you six or seven or eight times. They're going to ask you, did you, did you read it? Did you comprehend? Do you understand? Do you understand what the passage said? Do you know what the author is trying to tell you? Yeah. I, I, it's clear, John. If you hate some of the questions, it's because you didn't read the passage well enough. So you have to learn to read the passage well enough. I would definitely recommend watching some of my videos in The Demon. We also have a basic RC class uh, taught by Rebecca that people have found super helpful. But I feel like people are improving more now on reading comp than they ever were before because of this different shift in the way we're doing it. It's just like we blow people's minds because they're like, wow, you're having all of that kind of a conversation with the author? And it's like, yeah, because... That's how I comprehend what they what they wrote. Exactly. And I would say it's interesting too, because when you show people that path and then they start to walk down it, they still don't walk down it as far as you'd like them to at first. <laughs> right. They're like, yeah. oh, okay, I, I, I got it. I, I, get to, I need to engage more. And you're like, okay, read that first sentence. Tell me what you're thinking. And there's still this like superficial approach. And you're like, okay, you got to go further, further further until you get it yeah. and then you're going to start acing the questions and it's all going to make sense. Yeah. Sometimes you got to beat them down that path, show mm-hmm. them the path mm-hmm. and then they start going down the path, but then they turn around and go back the other way. It's like, no, 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 we're going to go all the way down that path. The on reading comp, the passage is a collection of all the right answers and the questions, no matter how it's worded, all they're really asking you is, did you understand what it read, what you what you just read? Yeah. So wait, naive students or novices always miss questions that, that sound like it can be inferred from the passage that the author would be most likely to agree with which one of the following. Yeah. All that means is, what did it say? They don't want you to infer anything. They don't want you to speculate about the mental state of the author. They want you to pick an answer that is firmly grounded in what you just read. Yep. So it's, it's for John, you know, it's way easier than John thinks it is. You have to read the passage better in the first place. And then you have to pick answers that are just firmly rooted in the evidence in the passage. And they should be pretty easy if you read the passage better. So John's worried about time clearly, right? I have a tough time finishing. Well, John, your problem isn't that you have a tough time finishing. Your problem is that you're missing eight or nine questions. I don't want you to finish. 
Yeah. Uh, I want you to read the passages better. If you run out of time and miss a few at the end, that's okay. What's not okay is missing eight or nine of the questions that you did with scare quotes around it. You know, you did those questions. No, you didn't. You didn't find the right answer. So you didn't actually do them. So John, you're not actually finishing anyway. Yeah. You're only finishing if you get the questions right. That's a good point to hit home. Yeah. That's a good way of delivering it, right? You haven't done anything if you got it wrong. <laughs> no, you didn't do your work. I mean, you did shitty work. You did sloppy work. Oh, but I, I finished the section. Well, I don't care. Anybody can finish the section and miss them all. Yeah. Or miss, boy, miss eight or nine questions. That's more than a whole passage worth of questions. So John thinks he's finishing, but he's... He's not because he didn't actually find the right answer. He just skimmed the surface and was confused and he guessed, you know, by the way, if he missed eight or nine, that means he like half asked, he got eight more right with like a half guess. Yeah. And that's not what you should be doing. You should be, you should be feeling good about your answers. You should be confident that you're getting them right. Yeah. Okay. When would be the ideal ideal time to apply to law schools for 2021 post-November LSAT, Ben? <laughs> uh, John's a new listener. John's not going to like this news. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't, don't apply this cycle. Why? Apply next cycle. Why? You're throwing away money and opportunity by applying after the November LSAT. It's that simple. Yeah. You might get in to shittier schools and they might charge you full price and that might be the worst thing that ever happened to you if you got into law school in 2021 at some shitty school paying full price if you apply at the beginning of the cycle <clears throat> you're going to get into better schools and they're going to charge you less that's why we always advise people to apply at the beginning of the cycle ideally september certainly before Halloween. And if that's not you, no big deal. Applications open in September on September 1st for the next year's next year's class. And that'll be here before you know it. So, you know, if you're taking November, I, I can't imagine that you're going to get your best offer applying what in December or January. Yeah. Plus One exception. Sounds, yeah. Yale. Yale apparently doesn't evaluate any applications until the after their deadline. Hmm. They don't accept anybody until after their deadline? Right. Which is when is their deadline? Um January or something like that. That seems like such an odd strategy. I mean, it's Yale, so maybe they just say fuck it, but like you, yeah, it seems like you'd be losing is. people to Harvard and Stanford who have already said we'll accept you. But maybe people just wait. I don't know. That's interesting. I could be wrong, but that's what I've heard recently. Um, hmm. We'll have to ask Carl. You know, Carl, we have two LSAT demon teachers now who just both recently got into Yale yeah. and they deferred for a year. So they're not starting until 2021. But Carl and Katie both just got into Yale. And we'll ask them and, and we'll, we'll make sure that we have an answer. But I'm pretty sure Yale only waits until their deadline to evaluate any applications. All other schools that I know of do rolling admissions, which means they start trying to poach the very best applicants at the beginning of the cycle. I mean, think about it. If you're Georgetown, yeah, you're not Yale. You're a damn good law school, the best law school in D.C. 
and you want to raise the prestige of your school, you would like to be considered like Yale is considered. And if you have somebody applying in September with a 175 and a 4.0, well, that's what Yale students look like. And if you're Georgetown, you're going to have to offer that person a scholarship to try to get them to come to Georgetown instead of going to Yale. Yeah. And that's why John needs to apply early in the cycle instead of applying in December or January. Also, John, it sounds like the November LSAT is your first LSAT and you're just selling yourself short if you don't take it in November and in January. You should take, yeah. just plan on taking two tests officially. And maybe even more times in the spring. I mean, hopefully one of your first two attempts is the one, but I've just seen hundreds of students get their best score on their third attempt. Yeah. You should at least be open to that possibility. Yeah. If you're serious about a legal career. Um, study plan. Yeah. Hi, Nathan and Ben. After seven weeks with a power score private tutor, while averaging 20 hours a week of studying, my score has only improved on average four points. My diagnostic score was a 154, and the highest I've been able to score since was a 162. I've scored 158 three times. I have taken one full practice test each week. So 20 hours a week of studying, one full test a week for seven weeks, made it from a 154 diagnostic, that's just one data point, to an average of 158 and a high of 162. Mm. I, I don't think that's, it sounds like he's upset or she, yeah. and uh, that's just part of, I don't know. I wouldn't read too much it's into not, this. Yeah, it's it's very small samples, so we yeah. can't really say much. Um, I'm looking to score a 175 so that I can attend Columbia with significant scholarships in order to improve my score by the October LSAT or latest November to apply for this rapidly approaching application season. What study plan should I undertake? I just bought a subscription for the LSAT demon this week and plan to use the demon between a timed practice section every day and a practice test each weekend. But other than that, is there something else I should do? I'm so frustrated with my lack of improvement and am willing to put in the time. I just don't know what to focus on at this point. Unfortunately, I have already spent so much money. I simply can't afford to hire a different tutor. Thanks for the advice. Anonymous. You know what? I want to start with... (laughs) Tutoring shouldn't be your first thing. It should not be your first thing. It you got. I mean, it's so crazy with the live classes every day. My preference would well, be you're you get a about, refund. Sorry, I'm just kind of going on a tangent here, but yeah. Ben's talking about Demon Live, which is a new thing that we only started doing in COVID times. I got a very nice email today from somebody telling me that um, the Demon Live classes were the highlight of her COVID uh, experience being able to come to all of these demon class. Well, it is, I mean, it's like a community, you know, like we, there's people there at school. Um, anyway, we have multiple classes literally seven days a week. 
we haven't taken holidays off. I don't think we we went ahead and had classes. Yep. Maybe, wait, did we skip the Fourth of July? I think maybe we skipped, we skipped the Fourth of, of July, but that was just a practice test day, anyways. Back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we've we we have had classes every single day, and we're just adding more and more of them. And for two ninety five a month, that's the cost of one tutoring session, probably. Yeah, or maybe two tutoring sessions with PowerScore. With us, it's what yeah, two tutoring s- sessions with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. our our team. Yeah, but we would never try to sell you those tutoring sessions. Before we we actually require you to work in the daemon before we'll even let you work with our tutors. And the reason why we do that is because we don't want to fucking rip you off. <laughs> like when I work with private students, all I ever do is to try to point them in the direction of the crazy amount of resources that are in the LSAT demon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you should be working on this by yourself or come to classes, but you should be building a study routine on your own first using the existing resources. And then if you're still stuck and really need extra one-on-one help, then do the tutoring. And it's a shame that, so many people pay so much money. They just think, oh, I need a private tutor. And then they just start wasting money on private tutoring. Yeah, there's a sense that it costs more. So they're thinking, oh, it's going to be more effective, but not necessarily. It's a waste of money if you're not going to be studying on your own in between your tutoring sessions. It's just a complete waste. Like, I mean, if you want to pay me to babysit you every single day while you study, I wouldn't even do that. Like, I would be, <laughs> I would. I would tap out. I would just be like, no, I can't. Like, I, yeah. I, I cannot in good conscience do that. Well, clear and clearly this person is studying between tutoring sessions, but it's... Uh, no, I didn't mean to indicate. You're right. Thanks for pointing that out. No, Anonymous clearly is also studying. Unfortunately, studying with weak materials and apparently maybe a weak tutor and paying thousands of dollars for it. And I think you're going to be much better off now with the demon. I I might divide it up three ways. Mm-hmm. Some combination of drilling, timed sections or timed tests, and live classes. Yep. And then make whatever schedule you want. I don't care. Don't, we don't have to get too precious about exactly how we break it up. But find the teachers you like in the demon. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's somebody else. Come to the classes you like. Do timed sections. We, we, by the way, we have group timed sections. We have group timed tests. So you can attend those if you want to sign up for them and attend those that can help for the motivation. And you can also meet people and that kind of stuff. It's cool. But <clears throat> combination of classes, timed practice, and then untimed drilling. And when you go to a practice, when you go to a class and you like it and you learn something from it, then you just take what you learn into drilling or into a practice section or a practice test. Like you don't have to think too hard about what you're going to do next. You just have to focus on learning from everything that you do do. I was talking about that last night. I was like, hey, all you got to do is learn one thing tonight. Yep. You know, or it was a two hour class. I was like, hey, maybe you can learn one thing in the first hour and one thing in the second hour. How about that? You know, break it down into bite-sized chunks. You don't have to get to 175 tonight. What you have to do is you have to get from, you know, 158 to 159. And then you have to get from 159 to 160. It's just like 
one question, one thing you missed, you know, maybe you thought you got it right and you were surprised that you missed it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, let's dig in there and let's figure out exactly why you made that mistake. Hopefully you don't make that mistake next time. And that's how you learn. So I can't promise that anonymous is going to have any particular score by October or even November, but I think that's my advice for everybody, right? No matter what your plan is, no matter when you're trying to apply, no matter what your goal score is, combination of classes, time sections, drilling, that's it. My concern is that Anonymous's tutor, and we don't know anything about this tutor, so this tutor could be amazing, but right. um, given the fact that the tutor works for PowerScore and PowerScore has a tendency to focus on lists and rules and lists of rules. Semantics. <laughs> semantics, all these things. Trademarked. I'm concerned. Gimmicks, yeah. Yeah. Writing, marking up the reading comp passage, labeling <laughs> things in the reading comp passage based on whether they're, well, they have like an acronym, right? I don't even remember what the acronym is, but they, they have some. Extensive analyses of which question, which letter is most common for when, for oh when you guess. Oh <laughs> yeah, don't even get me started. I'm worried that it's possible you're getting good information from that tutor alongside of really shitty information, and there's no way for you, not no way, but... It's very difficult for you to filter and decide which things are best. And if you're getting led astray, yeah. that tutoring is actually hurting you, ironically, even though you're paying more. The, the thing that I can promise you, if you come to us from any other LSAT prep, you're going to get to forget half of what you think you've learned yeah. You think you've learned stuff, but your practice test scores don't reflect it. That's because the shit you've learned is bullshit. Yeah. And half of it, you just get to jettison. As soon as you start studying with us, it's a whole different ball game. It's a much more natural, intuitive, common sense, plain spoken way of doing the test. It's not as hard as you think it is. And our job is to show you how it's not that hard. So, Although I disagree with PowerScore and their methodology, I see them as at least an honest or semi-legit company. So I would expect if you ask for a refund, they would possibly give it to you. Just say, "Hey, look, I don't want to. I don't want to use the rest of my hours." That's what I would do. Oh, on the remaining hours, you should definitely be able to get some sort of a deal. Yeah, that's they haven't. You haven't done the hours yet. You should, of course, you should get a refund. Yeah. Um, all right. <clears throat> Want to move on? Yep. Pearls versus turds. Want to say what pearls versus turds is? Yeah. So pearls versus turds is where we evaluate various suggestions that are out there in the LSAT universe. And if it's good advice, if we would teach it in class or um, have yet to do so but want to now, we give it a pearl. Otherwise, it's a turd. Some things have been deemed ties because they are a mix of good and bad, uh, and we can't decide, but ultimately they're bad because they're not helpful. So, hey guys, I've been part of a couple of LSAT-focused Facebook groups and discovered oh a major pearl. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of uh, cess out there in these cesspools called Facebook groups. But, what is cess? Um, I don't know, but I just <laughs> assumed it's bad. Um, 
Tell me what you discover. I only am getting cessation. Uh, go, go ahead. We'll, okay. We'll, Here uh, it is. Don't listen to what those ridiculous, ridiculous self-proclaimed LSAT tutors are selling you. Okay, that would include us. There's one tutor, in scare quotes, in a group who creates his own daily LR questions that don't resemble actual LSAT LR questions in any useful way. Oh, no. I always am telling people to just get the demon. What in hell's bells? would be the purpose of practicing questions that aren't actual LSAT questions. You need to learn the LSAT, not Joe Tudor's questions he created at home in his house coat. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, I agree with that. I, yeah. I didn't know what... So the, the, the advice, the supposed pearl here, is don't listen to those ridiculous self-proclaimed LSAT tutors are selling you, or what those ridiculous... Yeah. Uh, it's kind of vague, right? We are self-proclaimed LSAT tutors, so um, maybe you need to be more specific. Don't listen to people who write their own questions. and For sure. Yeah, pan them off For as sure. sufficient. I'm actually down with writing my own question, but it would uh, not be... <laughs> It would not be the it would not be the means of drilling. It would be more like an I don't know a one off. Let me try to illustrate something. Also, if we wrote a question, you would not be able to differentiate it from an official question, yeah, especially like, if we wrote it together. <laughs> I would go through the gauntlet. Yeah, I mean, I've written myself two thousand logical reasoning explanations, but yeah. I would be able to write a damn good LR question or damn good logic game like that. We would come up with yeah, pretty solid ones. So this, <laughs> this crazy person on Facebook is giving away fake practice questions that he wrote and they don't even look like official questions. Yeah, you can disregard. Okay. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Another one, yeah. Another tutor thinks that the LSAT books and courses have a shelf life. Because the LSAT writers have figured out that their strategies are being learned. <laughs> and this tutor is offering the inside scoop on the newest strategies that won't succumb to the same problems. <laughs> Sarah writes, okay then, that's pretty good. Okay, next one. Prior to watching people get bewitched by this nonsense, I wouldn't have considered this a pearl. I would have thought it was just common sense. It appears, however, that it needs to be said. So maybe it's a pearl after all. It also might be a pearl to get out of those groups and off Facebook altogether. Yeah, Facebook is just, it's dying anyway. It's evil. Yeah. It's terrible. You have to get off Facebook. Yeah. Thanks for listening to my rant. I appreciate that you guys deliver the real deal without the BS. I can't wait to be added to the small list of pearls and go to law school for free. Uh, smiley face and demon face, which is apt. Yours in nice. a pursuit and passion for justice. Jokes, jokes, Sarah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's odd. You know, you, you would think that this would not be um, needed, but it it's not obvious to people. They find this stuff. They get swept away in it. Jeez, that, that books one is funny too. Anyways, thanks, Sarah. I've, I vote Pearl. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I have said this a million times in class. When people start telling me about something that they read on Facebook or something that they read on Reddit about the LSAT, it's almost always wrong. And I instantly tell people, get off Facebook, get off Reddit, stop it. Um, it's also one of my main tips uh, for – I forgot to say this last night, unfortunately. Somebody was asking me about anxiety. Mm. How do I get rid of anxiety for the – 
uh, I, you know, I'm really starting to feel anxious about this October LSAT that's coming up. And I'm like, get off Reddit, get you off know, Facebook. Yeah, it's so it. true. It's, it's ironic because people feel anxious and they seem to like think that going onto Reddit and reading about this stuff is going to allay their fears. Like, oh, they're going to somehow hear what other people are saying, but it only adds fuel to the fire. It just, it creates anxieties that don't need to exist. Yeah. I, I, I call this a pearl for sure. You know, it's so hilarious, dude. The idea that the LSAT writers have figured out that their strategies are being learned. <laughs> and so therefore books have a shelf life. What? You know, oh, you know what that's in reference to? That's in reference to the power score. Let me guess what the last correct answer is going to be. Oh, oh, well, yeah, yeah, it could be. It definitely could when be. When you yeah. deal with bullshit, yes, LSAC is going to write around that. If it's actual logic, no, it's never going to change. Well, I take the Pepsi challenge, man. I don't think – if I took a random logical reasoning question from prep test two and put it alongside a random logical reasoning question from prep test 89 – you're not going to be able to tell me which one is from 89 and which one is from two. Yeah. Even, even on the games, you know, or like, Oh, for example, famously there recently was a, which one of the following strengthens the least. Mm -hmm. Right. That was on like prep test 87 or 88 or 89. And people are like, wow, look, they came up with a whole new type of questions until I was, teaching classes on some of the old or doing explanations for the older tests. And I found literally which one of the following strengthens the least on yeah. like prep test two. Yeah. So it might look like they're creating new shit, but they're not, but <laughs> you know, not only that, but they're so tuned out from what their customers and what the LSAT prep providers are doing. They don't give a shit. Do you think that they read the books or like they are aware of the LSAT trainer or the loophole or any of these other recent gimmicks? They don't give <laughs> one shit. Nope. They don't, they do not care. It's, they're in an ivory tower. They're not thinking about that stuff. I promise. Yeah. Um, this right, next email. Yeah. That Thank was you, a pearl. Sarah. Pearl. Sarah. Yeah, wow. That's unusual. So that, did you already update the scoreboard? I did. Nine pearls. That's our ninth pearl. Huh, cool. Against 36 turds and 19 ties. So that's a total, or that's a one in seven ratio of pearls to uh, turds slash ties. Okay. Next one? I got yeah, it. Yeah, this one's really long. Do we have time for this? Yeah, well, yeah, we have time. I don't think we maybe have time to do the personal statement, but we have. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Hi, Ben and Nathan. As a non-traditional applicant, I've been navigating through the admissions process mostly on my own and figuring out figuring it out as I go. Then obnoxiously two spaces between sentences. Please, when you write in the show, just use one space. Otherwise, we're going to have to slam you for it. During a meeting with an admissions counselor from one of the schools I am interested in, she suggested I speak to my undergrad career services center. While this might seem like a no-brainer, I probably never would have thought to utilize that resource. Don't say utilize, say use instead. I don't know if that's a common thing most non-traditional applicants do, but it could be a cool little pro tip for those who have been out of academia for a while and may have forgotten what services their alma mater provides. 
During my first meeting with someone from Career Services, the counselor looked over my rough draft for my personal statement and sent me a document to use as a guide slash outline for completing my statement. I read through it, and I suspect it was designed for people applying to any sort of graduate program, not necessarily just law school applicants. Either way, I have attached his outline to this email, and I am curious about your opinions on these suggestions, a pearls versus turds for personal statements, if you will. Thanks for all you do. Praise the demon R. Okay, so here's the tips. Ready? Yep. Maybe we can do these kind of rapid fire-ish. Sure. Tip one, your personal statement ties the rest of your application together. Sure. It's not really a tip, but yeah, okay. (laughs) Two, connect your statement to the rest of your application. Okay. Yeah, it needs to make sense in the context of your resume, maybe? Well, the best personal statements, I think, are showing people kicking ass at work or maybe kicking ass in school if they're really young, but mostly kicking ass at work. These two first tips are just vague. I don't even know what to do with them. So, Good point. Three, personal statement's main purpose, colon, to demonstrate to a department that you understand how to formulate and pursue a research question and that there is a good fit between your question and the department. No, bad advice. Well, I'm sure that's the case if you're applying to you know, a PhD program. But you're not. You're applying to a JD program. All law schools are basically the same. They don't actually care about your... <laughs> you're not qualified to formulate any kind of a legal research question. Nope. So you definitely don't want to act like you are. The first paragraph will sway the reader into finishing your statement. We want to stand out and be different. Eww. We may want to convey an epiphany or an aha moment. Be sincere, be honest, be positive, and trace the evolution of your interests. Oh, okay, so all four of no. these tips so far have been bad. They are not useful. Vague or, yeah. And this, I mean, is, this is counter advice. I, I agree that the first paragraph should sway your reader yes. into finishing your statement, but that's... Okay, how? And then they say how, and the all of the advice on how is backwards. Ben, do you think law schools want people who stand out and are different? <laughs> yeah, I want that attorney who's got that crazy ass idea on how my case could be won. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't comport with any precedent. <laughs> the vast majority of lawyers are corporate worker bees. That's the lawyers that make a lot of money are corporate worker bees. Yeah. They want you to, they want people who are smart as shit, hardworking and don't really ruffle, you know, don't, don't really step out of line. (laughs) I, everybody thinks that they're going to go to law school and become Thurgood Marshall. That's not what's actually happening you're almost everyone if you're going to get a job almost everyone is going to go to law school and you're going to be a cog in the machine yeah it's like it's like going into the military thinking you're going to be a general no you're going to be a soldier that's right what you're going to do and you're going to do what's told you're told to do by the way (laughs) in order to be a general step one is be the best soldier yep follow orders (laughs) 
You need to look like a rule follower. You do need to look like somebody who is capable of identifying problems and solving those problems. But I don't think you want to look like a renegade. No, you're doing it within the context of an organization that wants that problem solved. And you're solving it in a way that's consistent with their values. Like I've seen tips before for personal statements that are like, make sure you show some flair. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> well, this last tip here too, be sincere, be honest, be positive. Well, be positive. I agree with that. But people are going to misinterpret these vague advice, this vague advice. Be honest. Oh, now I'm going to open up my soul and tell you about all the mistakes I've had or the, the yeah. problem I had when I was a freshman. It's like, nope. I hate the last bit of this. Trace the evolution of oh your interests. Gosh. When I was five, I was interested in justice. No. The best personal statement is a page and a half. And it, it, there ain't no trace the evolution of your interests. They don't care. They care what you've done about your interests. We don't need the evolution of high school and, you know, then college and then your first job. And the, you're wasting none of that. so much precious right. space on That's unimportant awful. things. Okay. Turds, turds, turds. Number five, use vivid detail to make points. Refrain from making you the center of your statement. Spend time. Well, wait a second. That's a personal statement. <laughs> but also, how do these two sentences have to do with each other? They don't. Spend time describing your experiences in terms of what they were. That's unnecessary words there. <laughs> describing your experiences. You could have just said describing <laughs> your experiences. Yeah. Not in terms of what they were. And what you did to achieve such experiences. <laughs> Focus on descriptions of your experience. This is word vomit. This last sentence has math. Dude, it's, hey, it's math. Specificity plus flexibility equals admission. <laughs> but they use a plus sign. What the fuck does that even mean? Flexibility? Specificity plus flexibility <laughs> equals admission. Okay. I don't even want to read the rest of these. These are awful. I do because they're so bad. It's, it's good comedy. Okay. Go for it. What does that mean? I want to shake whoever wrote this and I want to go, what the fuck do you mean by specificity plus flexibility equals admission? How dare you? How dare you waste people's time with this? Okay. Number six, write as if you will be admitted. Let's use graduate level academic language, comma, use jargon. <laughs> I, I bet they meant not jargon. No, no. I think they meant use jargon. <laughs> what the hell? You have to take them at their word, Ben. And they just said, let's use graduate level academic language. This has got their purpose. This is fucking ridiculous. You think it's trolling? No, this is from a school. This is, this is a, from someone's counselor at some school. The name of the school has been redacted. Hey, this is actually a good opportunity to take a moment to pause and tell people what's going to happen their first year of law school. You're going to read a bunch of old cases and opinions that were written with legal jargon and to exalt yourself, to make yourself an attorney, you're going to start using those words 
and you should not. The best writers know what they mean, but they don't use them. The Supreme Court Justice, the Chief Justice of our Supreme Court, John Roberts, does not use jargon. So you're not belittling yourself. You're not lowering yourself by avoiding those terms. No, you should write for for clarity. The best writing is writing that other people can understand. And if you use a bunch of jargon, then it makes it harder to read. And so this is the exact opposite of what you should actually be doing. Yeah. Your experience at University Redacted allows for small classes, rigorous curriculum, writing enhanced classes, close faculty mentors, undergraduate research opportunities. <laughs> Is that advice? I think that was just a brief commercial, a brief <laughs> reminder of how great your school is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Tip, that was not a tip at all. That was just like, your school is the shit. All right. Okay. Number Skip eight. Skip ad in five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Discuss what most fascinates you about this field. If you have a well-defined career path, state it along with your intentions. Um, may, maybe. Maybe one sentence at the end. Yeah, if you're already a paralegal in mergers and acquisitions and you love mergers and acquisitions and, you know, I think your personal statement, it probably should show you kicking ass at your job, yeah. which is mergers and acquisitions. And I think it'll be pretty clear there that you have this path. I don't think you need to talk about your intentions very much. Yeah, yeah. maybe one sentence at the very end. But your intentions don't matter. What matters is what you've actually done. Yeah. Show that you have thought about what your life would be like if you pursued this career choice and how graduate school will help you reach your career choice. Discuss how graduate school will allow you to focus your efforts on, and then an ellipses? <laughs> oh, on whatever it is that you're interested in, I guess. God, whoever wrote this should be ashamed of themselves, but... <laughs> No, you should not be speculating about what you think your life as a lawyer is going to be like. You make yourself look so naive when you do that because you don't know. Like you, People don't know what they're getting themselves into at all in most cases. Number 10, don't be afraid to reveal personal details of your life, specifically ones that can be translated into positive aspects of yourself. Being a little more personal than you think is good. Okay, so I facepalmed here because I was worried about people revealing personal details that can be translated into positive aspects. They're going to take something negative and they're going to be like, look, this is. <laughs> Try to spin it. Yeah, I learned positive, it. Like, yes. oh, no, you just revealed that you're. What was that one? Where they were late to class. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Well. <laughs> Oh, they're lost. Yeah, they were lost. <laughs> and they like made a new friend who helped them get where they needed to go because they were late and lost. Yeah. That's personal, but you don't need to do that. Yeah. Also, you do not need to talk about <laughs> medical issues. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Including drug and alcohol issues. You do not need to talk about those things. Um, well, let me rephrase. You need not to talk about those things. <laughs> you do not need to talk about depression and anxiety. You do not need to talk about your criminal record. You do not need to talk about your bad performances in school. 
You do not need to talk about any personal litigation that you have ever been involved in or you or your family. Yep. You do not need to be airing dirty laundry. <sighs> now, if you super kicked ass on a project in the last year, tell me about that. Be personal. Absolutely. <laughs> See, I think what's funny is when she says being a little more personal than you think is good, it, people are going to read this as like, oh, like show my humor side or something like that. No, by personal, we mean tell us a story about something you did and just tell us what you did. And it needs to be positives. None, none of this spinning negatives into positives or starting off with some problem about you. It, it, it needs to be, you're a badass. You found it. There was an obstacle maybe, but you overcame it right away. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, just get to the winning part. If you chose not to answer any application essay questions, give a reason why you chose not to answer. What? No. In your personal statement? <laughs> I decided no. not to write the diversity statement because... I'm white as fuck. And then I didn't think it was appropriate. <laughs> and I thought I'd say that here in my personal statement. What? <laughs> I decided not to write uh, any... I decided not to answer the question about whether I had had any um, criminal issues because the one time that I got caught smoking <laughs> weed in the dorms is not on my record. <laughs> they forgot to file the complaint, so it's not official. So I don't have to talk about that. I didn't put my DUI because my dad is the district attorney. And I was <laughs> got, able to yeah. not <laughs> okay, don't do that. No. Nope. Um, let's see. Number 12. This is great. Yeah. Number 12, show you have done research on the program. Show how your interests match with their interests. Person, environment, fit, period. Most of your statement will discuss your person and your experiences. It is important to discuss the environment to which you are applying. Mention their curriculum. Mention two to three faculty by name and specifically what interests you about, your, about their research. Nope, does not apply to law school. You can use the same personal well, statement also, for all law schools. Well, this all just seems like word vomit. Like, I really don't know what this person is saying. Well, it is important to I discuss does the apply. environment to the which you are applying. No, for PhD programs. The environment? Like, I wish well, the person was a little more precise oh, with I their wording. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, what they meant was name faculty, name research projects. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't need to put the environment. You're right. Number 13, it is good to mention faculty by name. Oh, at this school that needed to be redacted there. Mm. It's a good idea to mention redacted faculty by name, thought leaders in the field that have influenced you and two to three faculty at the school to which you are applying, which they just said in the previous tip. So yep. I didn't need to say that again, yep. but do you need to mention your own professors in your undergraduate? No, no, you do not need to do that. Um, Number 14, do not go past the word limit. Typically, personal statements are 500 to 1,000 words, if not otherwise stated. Does that apply for law school, 500 to 1,000? Uh, I think so, actually. That sounds about right. But I would say it's two pages. So let's edit that and just say two pages. And yes, I agree 100%. Do not go past the word limit. If you do that, you are making a mistake that will be penalized for the rest of your career. 
Judges who see attorneys going past the word limit are saying, what the fuck? You have one simple rule. Just tell me yeah, what you're you wasting need to my know. time. Yeah. Totally. In the word limit. Yeah. yeah. And shorter is better. I mean, personal statements that make it on, I don't think one page, that would be bold. That'd have to be a damn good one page. Yeah. But anything that gets on to the second page, I think that's fine. Yep. Anywhere between double space. Mm-hmm. Anything on the second page is fine, but not the third page. That is not fine. Okay. Number 15, evidence that you are ready to perform at the graduate level. So you're going to include, Ben, all of this in your personal statement. Ready? A through Q. Yeah, ready. A through Q. Field-related practical jobs internships. Your passion. Make sure you spell it out. Hopefully your writing will clearly evidence your passion. Garbage. Do not say passion. Yep. Don't talk about passion. Talk about what you did. Service in the field, research independent study, working through school, balancing and overload, graduate level classes in the field, direct faculty recognition. I guess this is just a list of – I'm not even going to read these. These are a list of all of your accomplishments. Yes, one of these could be a good topic for your personal statement. You do not need to list everything that's on your resume though, and that's what sounds like they're trying to get you to do here. Yeah. Like, really? You're going to list athletics, theater, symphony, band, vocal performance to demonstrate your time management skills? Come on. That shit's on your resume. Yeah. That's not what you're supposed to be doing in your personal statement. Last tip, number 16. We want to end your statement. (laughs) So they're going to write it for you, okay? (laughs) With a final paragraph that that summarizes... And provides a quote, big, all caps, big finish. <laughs> with the period outside the quotes. With the period outside the quotes. <laughs> what are you going to do with this degree? Question mark. No. Nope. Ain't nobody got time for that, Ben. The personal statement is only two pages, and you don't need a lengthy introduction and a lengthy conclusion. You need a story about you doing something that demonstrates your badassness and a one sentence conclusion is fine. You certainly don't need to rehash everything that you've said before. Well, also when she says here, what are you going to do with this degree? You let the reviewer conclude that you're going to be an awesome attorney, whatever that means, based on what you've done, not what you say you're going to do. It's just yeah. This this Completely advice agree. is just bad. Yeah, that, maybe it's fine for other graduate programs, but it's ninety five percent garbage for law school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then there's an example. This is this is crazy. An example of a personal statement outline. It's an it's an example of a personal statement outline. <laughs> It says, open with a story, anecdote, or scene that draws the reader in and helps us understand who you are and how your present research interest emerged. Close this paragraph by explicitly stating an observation, insight, or question that drives you. This is not a random story. It's a story explaining something crucial about you and your work. Yeah, that doesn't apply to law school at all. No, this must be you, for other programs. I, I don't Even, no, even then, I don't know dude, if it's good. Yeah. If you're applying for a PhD in geology, then you would talk about your undergraduate work in geology and you would talk about some research project that you've been involved in as an undergrad and you would talk about what you think you want to do in grad school. 
Yeah. Because that's what grad students do. Like grad students in that's what they do. Unlike they pursue, law school, yeah. grad students in in like other disciplines are actually like doing re- like learning. You know, they're doing yeah. stuff. <laughs> law school isn't that. Law school is an academic competition, and you're going to be just competing for grades, yeah. um, writing essays about the law. It's not anything to do with this. I mean, I guess you could do journal your second year, and you could be tangentially related to law school scholarship yeah. where all you're really doing is blue booking shit. But Ben, would you like the definition of cess? I do. Yeah. Before we wrap it up. Yeah. Two definitions. One cess noun in Scotland, Ireland, or India, it is a tax or a levy. Okay. Okay. Second definition Mainly Irish, it's a noun, in, a, in the phrase bad cess to. And the example here is it's, it means a curse on. Mm. So someone in Ireland might say bad cess to the day I joined that band. Or, you know, bad cess to the day I decided to study for the LSAT. Something like that. It means a curse on. So maybe that's where cesspool came from. Okay. It might be like a a pool of curses. You know what I mean? Like a bad place where yeah. you'll get cursed. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, the definition of a cesspool is an underground container for temporary storage of liquid waste and sewage, which is what I had in mind. The, yeah. So I thought cess was shit. But, and then it says a disgusting or corrupt place. Yes, cesspool for sure. Oh, and corrupt is a lot is very close to you know curses, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, um, cess. I think yeah, taxes, <laughs> curses. Um, that's <laughs> a cess. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff you would prefer didn't happen. All right, yeah. um, we're gonna have to leave Victor's personal statement for next yeah. time. You want to wrap it up there? Yeah. Thanks. That was. <laughs> Thanks to everybody for writing it. We always love it. Um, yeah, help at thinkinglsat.com. Help at thinkinglsat.com. And uh, Annalisa will get you on the agenda if it's particularly newsworthy or fun. So just so you know, we're on Facebook, which we're telling you to avoid by, uh, by all means. Um, oh, dude, I watched last night, I watched uh, this movie, <sighs> The Social Dilemma. Oh, Is yeah. That what it's, called? it's on Netflix, right? Like, I saw it. It was or, weird because yeah. it was half documentary, half fiction. It was one of these like documentaries where they simultaneously had a fiction going alongside it to like demonstrate what they were talking about in yeah, the doc. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it was worth a watch, and it really was pretty scary about how these algorithms have fucked us. Basically, hmm. you know, they make these products to be as addictive as they possibly can. And then we – just all they care about is our attention and selling money. our attention. Yeah. Yeah. Our, they can, if they can get our attention, then they can get us to subtly change our behaviors and that subtle behavior change is the product. Hmm. They are selling the ability to influence you. Yeah. And they, the algorithms are really, really good and getting better. And have all sorts of unintended consequences. Hmm. And 
if you could take one thing away from today's show, I would like you to cancel your Facebook account. Just do not go on Facebook. But if you don't, Maybe we should stop pimping our own Facebook group. We should probably. If you don't cancel your Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, we're at Thinking LSAT <laughs> and at LSAT Demon. If you would like to be influenced <laughs> by us. Although I don't think we have our algorithms down, right? We're just like no, posting content. We're, we're so like, does it work? I hope amateur. So. Yeah. You know, we are completely amateur. We, but no. Yeah. You want to come follow us, check us out. We, yeah. We are posting all kinds of shit, all kinds of videos and stuff on those channels. So, but it yeah, might sure. be, it might be, I mean, although we suck at influencing or <laughs> nudging people to make the right choices, if you want to pursue the LSAT totally. in law school, maybe more of our content would nudge you in that direction sure. than less. So yeah, could be good. Follow Nathan at nfox on Twitter um, or us at thinking LSAT on Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes. It's always very helpful. And email us at help at thinking LSAT, as we've mentioned before and Nathan just mentioned. That was episode 264 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>